Hello and welcome to Critical Line Item. My name's Tom Ramblikin. Thank you so much for joining me for this particular podcast. Australians know that the current federal government, the elect, that was elected in May of uh, 2022, uh, is focused on delivering a voice to Parliament for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander uh, communities, but it's the First Nations communities here in Australia. And it is a debate that is starting to simmer in various quarters. People are observing tensions in media discourse and also uh, various um, tensions that are reflected in social media and elsewhere. Now, I thought it would be interesting to actually talk to someone who's in the middle of the for the uh, voice campaign, from a director from the heart, Dean Parker. Now, he's been involved in this for a great many years, you know, more about it than most people uh, out there in the community. And we'll explore, you know, what it all means, what the sort of tensions are out there, and uh, to try and, try and get some clarity for those people who are listening to this who aren't certain where things sit. Dean, thank you so much for making your time available. Thanks for having me, Tom. Now, before we get into the substance of uh, the discourse about the voice to Parliament and the Uluru Statement, which is other components to it, uh, there are people who hear this who, want, who might wonder who you are and, and what you've done. So what's your elevator pitch to an audience uh, on a podcast? Oh, I don't, I don't have one to hand on, but I'll, I'll, I'll try and make one up. I'm, I'm, my name's Dean Parker and I'm, I'm the director of From the Heart, as, as Tom said. Um, I'm from the Kwanamooka peoples from Mindurabar, which is also known as North River Oak Island, uh, which is just off the coast of Brisbane. I have the great privilege of actually living and working on my home country now. Um, uh, and so uh, it's wonderful to be here connected to, to my people and connected to my old people who still guide me to today. And obviously, professionally, my, my job is really about... Um, um, working alongside many Indigenous and non-Indigenous Australians to try and achieve a successful referendum on an Indigenous voice to Parliament, and that's something that we've been at for a number of years now, and and are really uh, keen to see that happen in the next within the next eighteen months. How long has this been a an active thing for you? How long have you been involved in the Full of Voice campaign? I'd say my involvement started with um, the uh, referendum council process that led to the creation of the Uluru Statement from the Heart. So, okay. so this was the process that engaged uh, Indigenous people across the country in 12 regional dialogues across the country. I co-facilitated those. So I saw the process and got to listen to people in the lead up to the Uluru Statement. I was there in the room when it was read for the very first time, co-facilitated that and had the great privilege of signing the Uluru Statement alongside so many other people. So, I mean, from that point, um, that's where I was hooked um, in this. That's where I had a, that's where my lifelong, I guess, uh, love of the Uluru Statement and what it stands for really started. Okay, that, and that was, that was developed um, over a period of time and finalised in 2017. That's correct. The, the lead-up was about six months, a really intensive six-month process, and uh, 26th of May 2017 was when the Uluru Statement was, was created. Okay. Now, 
we talk a lot about consultation. We talk a lot about um, reaching out to different communities. How many people would you estimate? Um, uh, sort of the the from the heart campaign um, as it developed, um, reached out to because this is a this is a long sort of period of advocacy. We're yep. seeing that sort of come together with the Uluru statement. How many people do you reckon um, had a had some sort of form of role or, or, or input ultimately? Is there an estimate who you... in, in into the Uluru statement? Yeah. Well, you have to understand that this has been a decades-long process to get to this point. Um, yeah. Minister Linda Burney, who's now leading the process for the referendum, she was involved in writing a report alongside other Indigenous leaders 27 years ago about constitutional recognition. And between then and the Uluru Statement, there was a whole bunch of processes, including the Recognised Campaign Expert Panels. We're talking millions of Australians directly and indirectly being involved in this. In terms of the Uluru Statement itself, in terms of Indigenous peoples, we're probably talking about 1,200 to 1,500 people directly involved, directly engaged in that process. And these are people who are very broadly representative of their very diverse communities. So, um, you know, the 250 or so signatures on the Uluru Statement itself, they represent decades of work and hundreds of thousands of people being directly engaged in that process and, and continue to be engaged um, since since the Uluru Statement was created five years ago, um, I think it's important that people understand the the way in which the Uluru Statement evolved and what preceded it. Yeah. Because for, for some and for some people, um, they may not have turned their mind to this, and they're being confronted with the idea of having a vote in a referendum. Mm. Um, which brings us to, I guess, a, a convenient segue then to the next, uh, the next point being, we, you've got the statement there. You, we now know that the government's kicking in an enormous amount of money uh, to to facilitate the referendum. Mm. So between now and whenever the referendum is held, there is a uh, a need to have a broader conversation with people, right? It's no longer yes. a it's no longer a, a, a conversation solely with a government or ministers or or a co-design committee. Um, how do you begin? to draw people who have not had uh, the exposure to the issue of constitutional recognition into the fault? The starting point is understanding the context in which our nation is right now, 2022. And the the thing that we've seen, particularly over the last couple of years, we've seen it, I've seen it directly with conversations with thousands of people directly myself, I've seen it with the conversations I've had with fellow people that are have been involved in this movement. We've seen it through our own research and the work that we're doing as part of the campaign. There is an enormous amount of goodwill 
But even though, Tom, as you said, like on election night when now Prime Minister Albanese stood up and 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 gave his victory speech, and at the top of the speech mentioned that the government was committed to the full implementation of the Uluru Statement and that there'd be a referendum on a voice. There might have been a whole bunch of people sitting in their lounge rooms going, what's this all about? And yet there is a deep sense of goodwill towards this issue. People intuitively understand that things can be much better in Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities than they currently are. Um, they're coming at this from a position of they want to be part of a movement that contributes to a practical impact in the lives of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and be involved in this great big moment of symbolism for the country of recognising Indigenous peoples after 240, 250 years of the modern Australian nation. So, so the starting point is deep goodwill. There's a lot of room in people's hearts for this. What we have to do and what we've been doing over the last few years is having the conversation and just breaking down very simply what this is all about. Understanding that we're talking about recognising Indigenous peoples as the first peoples of this country. It's just a historic fact that the Indigenous peoples are the first peoples of the Australian nation, have been here for 65,000 years and more. A final and formal recognition of that in the Australian Constitution. And the way that we do that is by giving a constitutional guarantee to a voice to Parliament. It is a representative body that advises parliaments and governments on issues relating to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. It's as simple as that. And when you have a conversation with people that don't know a lot about these issues and you describe it as simply as that, people go, huh, that seems pretty fair. That seems about right. That seems like something that we should do. And so what we have to do is have to continue to expand and amplify that conversation with as many Australians as we possibly can. Um, it's interesting that that's the positioning in terms of broadening the conversation. But you've had some experience with um, people who sit on the opposite side of the discourse. Um, and uh, I watched what was billed as the voice debate on Sky News that you were part of um, with some interest. Um, I've written about it in Crikey, and one of the, my observations was that it was a, it was a useful um, forum because it gave anyone watching an understanding of where some of the disagreements lie mm. between people who are uh, supporters of constitutional recognition, including the moderator of that evening, <laughs> I might add. Yeah and those who have some degree of uh, antipathy to the proposal. Um, as somebody who sat at that desk, what was that experience like? I think it's just part of the conversations that you have. And, and, and I'd say, um, in all seriousness, um, you know, obviously being on a, on a TV panel um, and being in a pretty contested debate, isn't something that you do every single day, although that might in, indeed become more of my daily existence as we go <laughs> as we go forward. Um, but but I, but I will but I will say, Tom, that kind of debate is not typical of the conversations that we've been having over the last five years and more. Generally speaking, there is a lot more 
intuitive openness, that there is curiosity. Yes, there are some people that have concerns and largely because they haven't been engaged previously, they don't know a lot about what this is about and they are seeking a little bit more clarity and a little bit more information. And that's natural. That's natural on Indigenous affairs more generally and it applies to this issue as well. So we know that there's got to be a, an awareness piece there that's got to raise that. But my experience more generally is that, that that experience on Sky, and look, we've got to have the conversation everywhere. We've got to have the conversation in studios like that. We've got to have the conversation in communities. We've got to have it in town halls. And some of those forums, um, people are going to be um, not supportive, but my, but my overwhelming experience has been that people are, Firstly, pleased to be engaged. They want to be involved. And secondly, are genuinely open, even if sometimes they do have some concerns. And, it's, and, and what we have to do, we have to make it okay for people to express some of those concerns. The worst thing in the world that we could do is, is, is think that we can shut those concerns down. We've got to listen to them. We've got to address them. And we've got to bring people along on the journey. And as I say, more often than not, when we do that, you get a very good response and people appreciate just being treated with a bit of dignity and a bit of respect as, as we should through this process. Um, we know there are people, we are commentators who are um, not from First Nations who oppose a voice, constitutionally recognised mm. voice to Parliament. Those people are quite prominent. We know we, we know who they are. Mm. Um, but there are also those from within the First Nations communities who have some issues. How do you cope with um, the, the, the sentiments of the, the you know, Senator Jacinta Prices and the Lydia Thorpes and, and the Warren Mundines and, and others? Um, as you as you advocate for the constitutional recognition, the, the starting point is understanding that our community is just like any other community. Um, we've got we've our whole system of of governance in this country is based on democracy, and in in that lives well at the moment. I, I would have said 49 percent. But we know now that there's different political factions and independents and, you know, the, the, the political landscape is split because people, people have different views on things. And surprise, surprise, that applies to Indigenous people as well. We have different <laughs> views on things. Um, I think the really interesting thing, Tom, for me is, and, and this is something I, 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 I hope the nation is prepared to engage with and I hope the and I hope the media in particular is 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 ready to engage with is that we have to get away from this idea that difference of opinion amongst indigenous people immediately represents division and conflict. That's what happens far too often. It's almost like any difference of opinion is kind of banned within indigenous people, and that if we do, if we aren't one hundred percent united on something, then that represents a divided peoples, and I and I think that's a very um, I think that's a that's a legacy of history, and I think that's a legacy of, of you know of, of a mentality of divide and conquer that we really got to move away from and actually understand that division, that that difference of opinion is necessary on this issue. We cannot be talking about things as big as 
voice to parliament as big as indigenous constitutional recognition and referendums and so forth and expect that there is no difference of opinion. I mean, that difference of opinion is actually healthy. I, I see it as a sign of healthy debate and a sign that this has been treated as the serious issue that it is. So I, 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 I think the difference of opinion is natural, it's healthy, and it's part of um, what this movement's about. And, and, we've, and, and what we've got to do is create space to allow people to express that and then also engage in really sort of respectful conversation around that too. Is part of the problem, Dean, the issue of... You know, um, sometimes the stories are told media-wise or in political discourse. Sometimes the positions are oversimplified. Is there a, is, is, do you see yourself fighting against the oversimplification of um, a debate for the ease of telling a story based around conflict? I think that's probably part of it, Tom. I think part of also the situation, and, and if you think of um, the media in some ways and the way that stories are told in this country being broadly representative of the Australian population, the, the reality of, of our demographic status, we're about 3%, 3.2% of the Australian population. There are many Australians who, who haven't met or, or haven't knowingly met an Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander person in their communities. There are many people that don't have Indigenous friends um, and close networks. And so that, that close connection, I think, um, does make it harder. And I think that that is also seen sometimes in the media where you, there's not that, like, that deep, intuitive connection to Indigenous peoples and our issues. Um, and I think one of the um, benefits from this process is that more Australians in this generation are going to be engaged and involved in a conversation about Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. It's going to raise the awareness. It's going to raise people's connection to our issues. And I think that's only going to be a good thing as we lead towards the, the referendum itself. Now, we, 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 uh, there are several elements for, to the referendum that was spoken about at Dharma by the Prime Minister. You know, the, and I'll throw this one on the table because it's one that is has been a, rep, a personal reflection of mine, and it'd be interesting to, to, to get your feel for it, um, get your get your insight. One of the things that um, are missing or appear to be missing from the, the, the discussion at the moment is you know, uh, another, if you, if you say the question that's being put or that might be put and the amendments proposed are two-thirds of the way to, to recognition, um, uh, there's a notion of a preamble that appears to be missing in discussion. Mm. Um, how in setting the scene so that somebody picks up the constitution and the constitution has up front a preamble that talks about that the history of the the land in some form mm. that then explains why there's a up front 
since the context for a voice and everything else, has that been a point of reflection um, for you or for, for others uh, that, that you've come across? I mean, this was this was an issue that's been discussed, as I said, for a very long time, countless um, parliamentary inquiries, consultation processes, expert panels, joint parliamentary um, committees. Um, have been discussing this idea of inserting a preamble or a, or a form of words. Um, the Uluru um, process and the Uluru statement from the heart definitively addressed that question and said um, that mere symbolism of those words wasn't what Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people wanted. Um, and uh, for a couple of reasons. Um, firstly, most importantly, when we were talking about recognition and, and what the most meaningful form looked like, People said it's got to have an impact on our communities. It's got to do something to improve the conditions for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples in our communities. It's got to be about improving opportunities for our young people and improving opportunities for people in urban areas, regional areas, remote areas. So, so inserting a form of words, while it may have had some symbolic resonance, wouldn't have actually changed the practical lives, the practical impacts on our, mm. on our lives and our communities. So that's why the voice was put up as that mechanism. Um, that's that's why it was put up as the most meaningful form of recognition. And secondly, if you read the constitution, which I unfortunately have a couple of times, um, you, you, you'll understand that it's not a book of poetry. It's a book of structures and mechanisms. It, 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 it articulates the relationships, for example, between the Commonwealth and the states. And so when you think about the most appropriate way to do recognition, um, it should be through a mechanism. It should be through a structure of change. And that's what the, the voice of parliament is about. It's about giving a guarantee to a voice in the constitution. It fits in better. It'll have a practical impact. And it's something that we think is, is, is simple and easily understood by people. And so that's why, um, that's why we've gone down that route of, of, of making uh, a really practical and a symbolic uh, change. Um, it's a really good deal at the end of the day. And I think um, Australians, as we engage them more in this process, will uh, we'll see that's a very good deal on the table. So you, you, from that perspective, a preamble, having a preamble in addition to the voice and the constitution isn't really seen as adding much in the way of value, is it? No, it's 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 potentially confusing, um, and um, as I say, with the, the the recognition can be really meaningful in that very practical way. Um, so, so rather than um, go down that route of, of of trying to do too much, we we understand that changing the constitution is a difficult thing to do. Um, you know, the last time it was successful was nineteen seventy seven. Um, so, so it's 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 been a long time between drinks for Australia to go to a successful referendum. And so to do so, we 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 think we've yeah. been very practical about the way that we approach is very strategic, and very much in the sense of we think that this is something that the Australian people can absolutely get behind. So um, there's been a lot of a lot of work and a lot of sophisticated thinking by many Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people to get to this point. And, and as we say, we we think we've got the balance right, and that's something that Australians can engage with. Um. Where to from here in terms of 
um, your engagement. I mean, you, obviously you'll be doing things like this, um, yep. and then yeah, talking to talking to and probably butting heads with people who are on the other side of the fence more often than you'd like. But um, what does you know the sort of your short to medium term calendar look like in terms of you know wearing out shoe leather leather and talking to people about this? Um, yeah, I mean it's 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 going to be a, a fairly intense period between now and the referendum. Um there's a couple of things that we need to do. Um A, we need to just get as much um of the key messaging about this and the simple messaging about this so people really understand what this is about. And one of the things that we're not doing is we're not getting distracted by a lot of the media commentary because it's actually off the mark, a lot of it, um, with respect to what uh, people are thinking about this issue. As I said, a lot of room in people's hearts, not a lot of room in people's heads. Rightly at the moment, understandably, people are thinking about things like cost of living and what's you know the impact on family budgets and those sorts of things. However, there is still a deep sense of goodwill, as I said, um, to actually make this happen. So it's about building on that goodwill, having a broad conversation across the country. Um, it's also about making sure that we can get people into communities and, and across the country, into the town halls, into the places where people meet and have the conversations more broadly. So building that network of, of, of supporters and advocates to be able to go out there and carry the message and engage people in their communities. I mean, that's a really effective way of, of being able to build that awareness and build that support. And so we're in the process of, of, of pulling that together. There are a bunch of organisations and networks um, that are just dead keen to get involved in, and be involved in using their networks to get the messaging out there. We're having multiple conversations across the board. And, um, and so that's where a lot of the work is. That's where a lot of the hard work is um, to build that sort of infrastructure so that the messages and the conversations can be readily had with as many people as we possibly can. We're in an era where, after COVID, people are people have gotten used to using things like Zoom, Skype, uh, Microsoft Teams. How big a role is IT playing in, in in what you're doing now? I mean, it is. It's it's a really useful tool to um, spread basic information. I also think, though, coming out the back of COVID. And even though we've all become very adept at, you know, video conferencing and Zoom and <laughs> phone calls and all of that sort of thing, yeah, there is also a very fierce desire for the human-to-human -human conversation to actually, to actually be with people, to be in rooms and to have conversations and um, and to be in community, and uh, and um, and for people to hear from people like themselves. Right. So I'll, I'll, there'll be certain spaces where I've got to be involved and others that are involved in the campaign will be speaking to. But um, we want to make sure that there are advocates across the country in towns and regional areas in the suburbs um, that can have a, go to a community meeting, that can go to a community gathering and just foster a conversation in person. I mean, you, the, 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 the scale that's available to us with uh, social media and digital uh, communications is, is wonderful and we'll absolutely be uh, using that as a tool. And we can't discount how important it is just, just being with people and having those yarns. Um, there's a lot of power in that and that's something that we're really keen to do. Now, I've been talking to Dean Parkin, who is a director from the heart uh, 
an organisation that's focused on get, getting the implementation of the Uluru Statement from the heart uh, in its completeness. Um, Dean, what um, can people do if they want to know more about the voice to Parliament and the Uluru Statement? Where do they go? Yeah, well, interestingly, Tom, we've just re released a um, uh, an online learning resource um, that's very conversational, um, very simplified about what a voice is, uh, what what referendum is, and what constitutional recognition is, and it's and it's really it's been called for for a while from people just they don't even necessarily want to be involved in advocacy; they just want to understand a little bit about the information. So. So, so that information has just been um, released. Um, that resource has just been released. It's, it's been built for everybody. It's been built for particularly people who haven't had a lot of information about this. So I really encourage um, um, people to visit our website fromtheheart.com.au. There's information there. This online education resource is there. It's a really good starting point. Um, and I'd also say, Tom, uh, watch this space at the beginning of next year. I think people are going to start to see um, more organised activities in their communities, in their networks, in their organisations, um, opportunities for people to get involved in the conversations directly. So I'd say at the beginning of next year, um, keep an eye out because you're going to start to see um, some 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 greater movement with respect to how this conversation is going to going to happen across the country. And look, I really encourage everybody to get involved in those conversations, even if you're not sure, even if you don't feel confident or you might feel a bit awkward about engaging in this and, and I know look in reality there are people out there many people out there that are worried about saying the wrong thing or saying it in the wrong way and but they want to be involved and I just say look our commitment as as advocates for this is that we want to make it easy and comfortable for you to be involved and and not necessarily worry about the nuances of what you're saying but just the intent just being involved and, 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 and being part of the conversation, we're going to encourage that as much as we possibly can. That's an important message because I did talk to a federal parliamentarian who's, who who's, uh, will remain nameless, who was nervous about um, entering into a discussion that debuted as belonging solely to the First Nations communities. Um, that, that was something where they felt uneasy about entering into it. And it's interesting that that's coming from uh, within parliamentary circles. But the point being, there's also a degree of respect they're expressing um, for the ownership that First Nations uh, communities across Australia have of that particular, have of the, the cause for the Uluru Statement, etc. I mean, this is one of the really important points, Tom. Um, we have to remember when the Uluru Statement was issued, it was issued by Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples to the nation. It wasn't issued to a politician or the Prime Minister or anybody like that. It was issued to the people of Australia and it said, walk with us, be part of this movement. And so part of what we're asking people to do is take up that invitation. This is not a movement for the 3%. This is a movement for the 100% of the nation to be involved in. This is an Australian movement. Um, it, is a, it is an issue of great national importance. And so we absolutely encourage every single person to get involved. 
Um, there's, there, is a, there is an opening, there is a welcoming and an invitation for every single Australian to be involved and, and what we want is as many people as possible to take up that, that invitation and understand that it's been um, issued with, with deep goodwill from Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples to the country. Um, Dean, uh, that is a convenient spot for us to wrap up a conversation that's covered a lot of territory over the past half hour. Thank you so much for making your time available. Thanks a lot, Tom. Great to be with you. Uh, absolute pleasure uh, to have you on as well.